At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of the Old Dogs REI Network is brought to you by Mino Studio. In a world where jobs are how most people make money, one man, one desire, one challenge dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money. Money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion advised. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where cash flow is king. Real estate investing, the means, so you can enjoy your retirement dreams. This is the show where we cut right to the chase. No sales pitch, no long monologues, just simple how-to real estate investing advice, so you can earn the passive income you need to enjoy your retirement today. And now, your host and chief old dog, Bill Manacero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manacero, and this is a show where 50-plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid, no-sales-pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays, and if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes, type in Old Dog, spelled D-A-W-G, find our podcast, and subscribe. We've got a great show ahead for you today. This is going to be a blast. Uh, We have a gentleman uh, who has just uh, just crushing it in in uh, just all kinds of real estate investing. I'm talking about Jerome Myers, and uh, he is a founder and CEO at the Myers Development Group, LLC, or we'll call it MDG here, where he also serves as executive coach, real estate investor and business strategy consultant. MDG was established in 2006 to offer private lending, business strategy, organizational development, and engineering consulting services to businesses and individuals in Virginia and North Carolina. 
Prior to forming MDG, uh, Jerome was an employee in corporate America, where he led an organization that built a team from three to 150 employees over the course of two years and sustained financial results of over $15 million annually with more than 25% profit margin. Prior to that, he worked with a number of domestic and international organizations in the public and private sectors, ranging in size from small startups to Fortune 500 companies. Jerome has served as engineer, engineering manager, project manager, Six Sigma master black belt, okay, inspirational speaker, executive coach, author, and business development representative. His passion for growing minority participation in STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Math Disciplines, has driven him to chair the marketing subcommittee for the Richmond Minorities and Engineering Partnership Board. He helped to establish the first fully endowed engineering scholarship at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, where he routinely gives inspirational keynote speeches and mentors young professionals who are working in STEM disciplines. Wow, what a background and what an exciting uh, venture you've got going here, Jerome. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. Bill, I'm so happy to be with you. I don't know what to do, man. <laughs> hey, we're stoked to have you here, man. You are doing some really great stuff. And I can't wait to get into it and, and get a little bit more background. But, uh, you know, we always, you know, we have an audience that's really personal. They kind of really want to know, you know, kind of what's behind the guest and, and who he really is or her or whoever it may be. And uh, so if you could just kind of give us your little story, you know, where, where you came from, how you, you know, kind of got into engineering, how you moved into real estate investing. Bill, it was a cool Saturday afternoon at 3.05 when I came into a I'm kidding. So <laughs> I was born to a soldier, and my mom stayed at home with me. I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My dad um, joined the Marines when he was 16, and somehow he and my mom, who was in the Navy, um, ended up in Adak, Alaska. So my dad, what? he was wow. born in South Carolina, my mom in North Carolina. Somehow they ended up in Alaska. Anyway, they met, they've been two peas in a pod. I think they're knocking on like 40 years worth of marriage today. Um, and, you know, they were my two heroes. My mom was my best friend growing up. And my dad, you know, he was, he would wake up and he'd do Carolina half days, 6 a.m. He'd be at work maybe a little bit earlier, 6 p.m. He'd come home. Um, on the nights that everybody was there, we'd have dinner together. He'd give me lessons around the dinner table. But, you know, he wasn't my rich dad. He was my dad who did the best that he could. He always wanted me to be a person of integrity and somebody that could be dependable and accounted on or accountable. And so that is kind of the basis for who I am. I've I've been all over the place. I've done all kinds of things. But when it gets right down to it, if you ask people who Jerome is, he's the guy that you go to when you need something done and you don't need to worry about it being done after you get your, you give him, he gives you his word that it's going to happen. Um, you know, one day me and my mom were playing in the yard and I told her, I want to be a trash man. Cause Lonnie was hanging <laughs> off the back of the trash uh, truck and he got to pull the lever that crushed all the trash. And he was always home before three o'clock. And so my dad didn't come home till six. And Lonnie was 
you know, off the truck and back at home. He lived on the other end of the street from us in a different cul-de-sac. But he was always home early. I was like, I, I liked the freedom, right? I thought it was a pretty cool lifestyle. My mom looked at me in a, the way only she could do. And she was like, baby, that's not going to lead to the lifestyle that you want to live. You like nice things. So you need to go get a career that's going to afford the lifestyle that you want. And so you fast forward, I end up in engineering school and I study civil engineering. I go on, start a corporate career as a structural engineer, uh, do that for a while, go back get my MBA, get on a leadership track. And then I leave, go do consulting at a couple of different consulting firms, get some international assignments, and then end up in the world that you described in the bio. And that got me, each one of those steps got me closer to being an entrepreneur. I made a lot of money early in my career, so my lifestyle was very comfortable. And it was all the things that that path my mom kind of set me out on of, you know, dreaming big and, you know, earning income so you can be comfortable. But in the end, that kind of turned into golden handcuffs. And in my role, my last role, I had to lay people off for the first time. And that was gut-wrenching for me. Um, I wasn't built for it. And so we did it one year. I I kind of put all the pieces back together, kind of reshaped the organization, and we kept putting along. And then we had to do it again. And it was at that point that I said, I I don't ever want to do this again. I don't want anybody else to tell me that I've got to fire somebody during the holidays. And, I mean, this was so bad because it was like Christmas Eve. And I was arguing with my supervisor about what we were going to do because I felt like we should keep the people and figure out a way to just repurpose them because they'd worked so hard and we were working on a project that hadn't been done before. And that's kind of been characteristic of my career. I I get the assignment when nobody else has done it and you got to figure out a way to execute it. Um, And he told me, Jerome, we're going to lay him off. I'm tired of arguing with you. And he hung up the phone. And I was like, this this is it. I'm over it. I I don't want to do this anymore. And so I started looking for things that made more sense to me. And while I was going through engineering school, I, I decided that I didn't really want to be an engineer. Like I had the capability, I, I had the intelligence to, you know, do the calculations and solve the problems, but I wanted to build business. And so I started taking my electives in a business school And one of the electives was real estate and bringing things full circle. Um, Around the same time, I had a buddy who lived downstairs for me in the apartments that we lived in. And we were sitting on the stoop. And I don't know if your listeners know what a stoop is, but the stoop is the stairs that lead up and down here in North Carolina. And so we were sitting on the stoop talking and he handed me a magazine and we were reading it. And then we started thinking about all of the apartments. And we're like, all right, well, we pay $400 a month for our rent. And there's X amount of apartments. And after we did the math, we were both engineering students. We were like, okay, so he's making $700,000 a year, but we've never seen or met him. And like, <laughs> this is brilliant. Like, how do we do that? And, you know, we went off and started careers and earned some money, put some money away, improved our credit scores, et cetera, et cetera. But we got back to that. You know, I, I got back to what I figured out I wanted to do when I was in school, even though it wasn't, you know, the traditional path. And it's funny because I didn't know anybody that did it, right? The guy that owned the apartments that we lived in, um, and uh, the complex was pretty large, but we never met him. And I didn't even know how to meet him. 
So getting into this is just kind of a dream come true for me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what a story. And so how did you, you know, how did you start? I mean, where, where did you start? Okay. You knew you wanted to do this, but I mean, uh, you know, how did you start educating yourself? How did you start learning and, you know, and, and all the, the basics and so forth? Yeah. The slowest way possible podcast you YouTube university. I mean, <laughs> you, that's right. That's you know, you got everything you need right there. It's all there, guys. I mean, you don't have to pay $40,000 for the course, but it might take you five years to figure it all out. And even when you think you have it figured out, um, you probably, because you're self-taught, you probably don't understand something that you think you understand or you're being misled. Um, If I had to do it all over again, I would get some type of coach, right? Again, I I don't know that you got to spend big dollars on it, but you do need to get somebody to kind of curate the content for you. Um, Just and somebody you can bounce questions off of because there is a lot of risk out here in the marketplace. I've watched a lot of people buy bad deals just to say they had a deal. And then in the end, that deal kind of takes them out. I was talking to a guy yesterday morning and he was telling me, yeah, my first fix and flip, I lost 10 grand. I said, did you have a coach? He said, no, the coach was too expensive. I said, well, you pay for the education. You just didn't pay a coach. You pay the property. And I mean, that that's kind of the fact of the matter. You're going to make some mistakes if you try to go it alone. And we made mistakes. I made a mistake on a model where the taxes were $10,000 and I modeled them at $1,000 and you know, at the end of the day, it's a pretty big property. So we were able to cover those expenses. But the fact of the matter is, if I had a mentor or coach overlooking, you know, my modeling and my pro forma, they would have caught that situation. And I don't think it would have changed anything in a business plan. So, you know, that wasn't a fatal uh, fail for me, but it could have been if, you know, the number was bigger than, you know, the $10,000 type thing. So, you know, I I just encourage folks, if, if you... If you want to get into this space, spend some time on getting some education. If you're going to personally guarantee a several hundred thousand dollar loan or multi-million dollar loan, it kind of makes sense to spend money on getting some formal education. A lot of people go to college and get into student debt to go get a job, whereas, you know, you're not going to learn this at a university. There's a bunch of institutions set up to teach you how to do it, though. Yeah, that's uh, that's great advice i think that that uh, i like how you sort of waited out there is that you're, you're gonna pay one way or another <laughs> and, uh, and and even if you do get your coach and education you're still there's still things we're gonna do that you know we, we you know we're, we're gonna make those decisions that are maybe gonna cut into our profit or whatever and and that just happens but but in, in the early stages is when you can make some of those real doozies that are just gonna kind of impact you a little bit stronger and uh it's like you said you could pay on the front end and and have a coach that's going to be there and there are some great coaches out there i mean they're just expensive but uh but they do you know hold your hand a lot of them to get to through that first purchase and and maybe you know beyond that but uh uh, that that is a that's real real good good advice i think yeah it's like drinking through a water hose for the first two deals man Uh, it's just so much information so fast and a lot of people, it's not quite HGTV on the podcast, but yeah. a lot of people romanticize the business and make it seem to be pretty simple and they don't make mistakes. And I, I hate to break it to the folks listening, but that's just not true. 
Right, right. Well, t- well. Speaking of the sort of your first deals, can you kind of tell us, like, where, you know, what was your first deal, and and uh, what what kind of what kind of thing did you do? What kind of uh, you know, was it a flip? Or was it a you know, multi? Was it a just a rental prop? Yeah, I mean, Bill, there there was a lot of firsts for me. I'll I'll talk about my first apartment because I think I learned the most there, and it was probably you know the most challenging and the second largest purchase of my life. So we bought a a 23-unit apartment building in Church Hill. Uh, it was just a subdivision in Richmond, Virginia. Um, down, it's in like the, I don't even know that I can really call it a suburbs. It's pretty much downtown. It's really convenient to the for the doctors and young professionals. Anyway, we bought it from a guy who owned it for a number of years and never actually executed on the business plan. And so average rents were about $6.95. Today, we're leasing that same property for $11.95. So we got a huge rent bump. But we spent a fortune on renovations. We redid the full exterior as far as siding, roofing, new parking lot, landscaping. Then we went in on the inside and we did, we added a half bath on the first floor, laundry room on the first floor, reconfigured um, the walls to give an open concept, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and then, you know, paint and drywall and all the other stuff. And then icing on the cake was central HVAC. Right? Wow. So, you you know, added central? We added central HVAC, right? Woo. So, you know, that's for those who have executed a project, that's a really heavy lift. And yeah. for it to be your first project, it it's it's insane when you try to figure out building permits and capital and so on and so forth. But, you know, we've been able to get through that thing. But the funny part is I thought I was going to go into a bank and get that property financed by myself. And yeah, I, they told me, they, they didn't laugh at me, but they, they told me as kindly as they could, you don't have the experience necessary to do this project. And it was frustrating because I had some money in the bank. I had a pretty strong credit score. And so I didn't understand why they want to finance me. But the fact of the matter is banks don't invest in your dreams. They invest in solid businesses with people who have a track record. And that's very similar to a lot of investors. And so we had to bridge that hurdle. And so I was standing on the porch of one of my fix and flip houses because I tried to buy this property in February, well, January and February. I kept going to different banks over the course of a few weeks. And they all told me no. And the guy pulled up who had just bought a property uh, maybe uh, two or three months prior. And he was like, hey, I'm getting ready to make an offer on this property. He was a fellow investor in the community. And I was like, oh, man, please don't leave me out. I was trying to buy that, but the banks wouldn't finance me. And he was like, yeah, uh, I'll get back to you. And so he went and made an offer on the property without me. It didn't get accepted. And so he circled back and was like, I guess I need a team. And so I got invited to the team. And so it was me the guy that I just spoke of, another contractor buddy of mine, the broker who brought the deal to the guy who wrote the contract, and then our fifth partner on the deal was a property manager who manages about 3,000 doors in Virginia. And that was kind of like the dream team. We had somebody from every facet. I had I was there because of my project management background. And so, you know, we went to the bank, they liked our financials, they liked our skill, complementary skill sets, and they actually had the loan on the property already. So them rewriting it made sense for them. They liked the asset. And so we went off and started on it. And our business plan blew up in the second month. 
right? We thought we were going to uh, change the units or upgrade the units on turns. And what ended up happening over the course of a few months is we took the property down to zero occupancy. How did you do that? How did you bring it down to, did you just basically tell people that you're, you know, they had to leave because we're redoing the building or? Yeah. So the first part was some people weren't paying. So we evicted those folks. Then other people, whoever didn't have a lease or when their lease expired, they left because we weren't renewing leases. And then the third thing is we had a sewer issue. And so it left us in a place where we didn't have working sewage. So the rest of the people had to leave. And so you talk about a bomb just kind of blowing up and it went from a project that looked like it was going to be fairly simple to a project that um, would have bankrupt me had I been in the deal by myself, right? Um, And this goes back to either having a strong team or having a coach. A coach, there were a lot of people who looked at the deal and didn't buy it. It was on LoopNet for probably a year. Um, But we did buy it eventually. And so, you know, having the right Mm -hmm. people on the team or right people looking over your shoulder can prevent you from that. Because I can't emphasize enough. If I was in this deal by myself, I would have been bankrupt. There's just such a huge capital demand and um, so many unforeseen things, you know. And the bank wouldn't cover that for you? Uh, they just covered the, just the initial yeah. loan, but no, nothing no, for construction? No, so they did do a construction loan for us. But, I mean, there were things that we didn't budget for that had to be done. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we've we learned so much in that deal. Um, but, yeah, the bank's been our partner. They've been patient with us. We've never missed a mortgage payment. Um, and so, and now the backside of it's amazing, but, you know, what gets skipped oftentimes is that that road through that really dark place where you're frustrated, you don't know how you could have missed this or how you could have missed that. And this is very different from a single family home. If like we underestimated the HVAC costs, right? We thought because some of the units already had stuff that we would be able to get out of there for about two grand. Um, it ended up being forty five hundred. So you multiply twenty five hundred dollars by twenty three. And you get a really big number. You don't have that same issue when you're doing a single family fix and flip, right? If you mess up, it's just that one item that you messed up, not multiplying it across a number of different units. So we learned a ton. Um, We paid for a seminar there. We're still going to make money. We're in the process of refinancing it, which will return everybody's principal. And so we'll be in the deal with the infinity return. And so... But again, you know, we we took a long road to get there. Did you syndicate to, to finance it or was it just uh, the team's? Just the team's money. Everything that I've done to date is a JV deal. We are going to syndicate just because of how heavy the left is. We Last week, Bill, we, we, got, a, we got the rezoning approval for six acres of land. We're going to do a 120 unit development on that. Ground up? Ground up. Why have you ever done that before? No, it's the first one. Oh my word, man! And and so you've got uh, contractors that that have done that kind of stuff and on board, I assume. Yeah, so we're we're still early in the game, so we haven't partnered with the contractor yet, and we're still evaluating architects. But you know, we've we've done enough repositions now 
that we feel really good about our understanding of the space. And I am a licensed contractor in Virginia, North Carolina. So worst case scenario, I'll do it. And I mean, it's funny. My, my lady gives on me all the time because I don't really talk about a lot of stuff I've done, but you know, I, I'm a licensed contractor. I'm a licensed engineer. I've got an MBA. So, you know, I've, I've been through all of like the formal training for stuff, but when you get into the project, I think Mike Tyson says it best, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? You you got to be adaptive. <laughs> you know, that pretty like business that. plan that you put together, hey, it might work, it might not, but mm-hmm. you're really betting on the operator, right? You're betting on the jockey. You're not betting on the property or the business plan. You're betting on the person that's executing. And as long as you know they're willing to do whatever it takes. And that's the great part about my guys. Everybody that's been in a deal, I've either worked side by side with them for over two years or I've known them for 10 to 20 years. Um, wow. And so they know who I am at my core. And, you know, I I, I relish in that. The fact they, they sometimes they put their money in a deal without ever seeing it. And then they come down later or when we have a group meeting, they come down and check it out at that point. But, you know, they they realize that the investment's in me and they're betting on me and not so much the property. Right. Well, that's what, you know, usually comes down to when you're investing in a project like that. It's it's the people, right? It's the people behind it, the sponsors, the people that put it together that, that you're really banking on so uh that's that's awesome man oh man all your properties in the sort of same area are you going to a different state are these mainly places that are near you where you live yeah so we buy we've only bought in richmond virginia greensboro north carolina and i a&t is where i went to school and that's in greensboro and i've gotten really excited about greensboro um it's un it's flying under the radar, and I hate to tell all your listeners that because everybody might come and start trying to compete with deals with me. But that's okay. I can't buy everything. Hey, on the, you know, a few th- a few thousand. They're not going to get too soon. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's a lot of people out here that like this podcast, Bill. I think you'd be a model. But, you know, people know about Charlotte. They know about Raleigh. They don't really hear too much about Greensboro. And so what we found is a niche, right? We're competing with doctors, attorneys, and dentists for these deals. There's not a whole lot of people who can go take down these deals that are somewhere between half a million and three million. The new build will be a lot bigger um, in budget. It's probably, I don't know, somewhere between around $10 million is what we're calling it right now. So, Mm -hmm. you know... We've got this niche where I'm one of the few people who are who's doing it full time in this market, and we think there's a real opportunity for us to go out and acquire a pretty big um, portfolio. The ambition is a thousand doors, and in the end, we want to have a thousand partners. I'm not a thousand, but a hundred partners, and some of that'll be JV, other will be you know limited partners and syndication models. But, you know, we want to free 100 people from work they're not passionate about. At the end of the day, that's what it's really about. Getting people working on the things that they're most passionate about because they're not worried about that issue that my mother raised to me when I was five in the front yard about, you know, solving my money problem and, you know, fixing, making sure that I'm doing a career that will support the lifestyle that I want to live. Right, right. That's really neat. How many doors is this uh, project going to have, or is it is it an apartment? Yeah. So we've got a mix of three story walk up apartments. There's a 96 units there, 
And I think we'll probably end up with about 20 townhomes on the front side. So we're doing it. We're building on the infill lot and there's a bunch of single family homes in the area. So our lot is kind of narrow across the front, but really deep. And so we're going to put a road in to get to the apartments, but we're going to put them on the back. So you don't necessarily see them from the street. And then Mm. we're going to put the townhomes on the front half, but it will all be rental space. And how how many acres is it? 6.3 or 4, something like that. Wow. That's a big chunk of land. Did, did, I mean, did you get a, a good deal on it? Or was it uh, something that you, you've been after for a while? Or? No. So it was crazy. So going back to A&T, I feel like every good thing that happened to me kind of came from A&T outside of, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff at home. But I did a project with the students trying to expose them to development because I feel like that is should be part of the body of knowledge. I'm actually the chairman of the advisory board for civil engineering. And I, I, I want that component to be included in the body of knowledge. So I got with one of the professors and we did a, they have a group called architectural engineering as well. That's part of the program. And we had them do some designs for some infill lots in the Eastern part of town and the city council and the Greensboro housing coalition heard about it. And they had us come present at a um, housing summit in April. And so after we got done presenting, one of the developers, he's an affordable housing developer, he handed me a card. Well, his assistant handed me a card and said, we've got six acres. We think you'd be interested in it. And so the property is amazing. There's a, it's an opportunity zone. It's a, oh, it is an yeah, opportunity zone. It's a wow. targeted investment area for the city of Greensboro. Um, it's convenient access to a new loop that's being put in around the city. And so it's an opportunity for us to be first to market. And yeah, I think we're, we're getting it at a little bit less than what it appraised for in 2008. And so with the zoning, we're buying that property. I don't want to give up my full cost basis, but we're buying that property right at $2,500 a door. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. And and it was already zoned for multifamily or was that uh, part of the process? So they had a conditional zoning for 72 units. And I, okay. I went in and we, we rezoned it for a little deeper density or higher density. So we brought it up to 120. Um, and that just improved the economics of the of the facility. It is, uh, as you said, pegged as as low income, right? Or is it? Uh, uh, what what exactly does that mean? The opportunity zone or the? Well, um, well you were saying that it was. Oh, oh, the affordable housing developer. Affordable housing, yeah. yeah. So he couldn't do it. So there's a distribution center adjacent to the site, and if you get housing or get financing from the North Carolina Housing Finance Commission, I might have messed that up, but. Um, anyway, they incentivize, um, you'll hear about LIHTC developers or tax credit developers that do um, subsidize housing. Um, they have certain criteria for sites. And so they don't want high voltage power lines. They don't want distribution centers. They don't want train tracks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this distribution center is adjacent to the property. And so it disqualified that site. And so they had to reevaluate their business plan. So it just doesn't work for their business model. But it's an amazing mm. site. It's nice and flat. We just got done with the wetland delineations. We don't have to do any wetland mitigation. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a super site. 
And I'm just grateful that, you know, they brought it to me and shared it because, you know, at that point I hadn't been looking for development. I was kind of sticking to our bread and butter, which is finding a asset that's broken and, you know, figuring out what the problem is and then executing a business plan to fix that problem. That's great. And, and how close is it to downtown? Uh, I think you can get to downtown in less than 10 minutes. It's right across oh, wow. the street from a um, from the Technical Community College's largest campus in the county. Um, like I said, the distribution center there, so it's close to jobs. And then the transportation piece with the new loop. I mean, all the big things that you're looking for is there, except for um, name brand. And I don't even know if that's the right way to characterize it, but, you know, nationally recognized brands from a, like, eat eatery perspective or grocery stores. But I think that stuff will come. So right, we're, we're right. taking a risk by being first to market. But, you know, we're, we're, we'll be kind of a long lead because we're going to do a HUD loan to get, you know, the financing piece of it taken mm. care of. It's really attractive. It's 40-year fully amortized, and the interest rates are super low now. They're like 4%. And so we'll get that locked in so we don't have to worry about refis, get that thing leased up and, you know, just execute and enjoy the cash flow and do a long term hold on it. Take advantage of the opportunity zone piece of it. And then if it makes sense to exit, we'll exit at that point. But, you know, I I don't know that we'll have to. I I think we'll just be able to hold that one as kind of the... um, the flag to us being in the market and you know the timing of that loan because the process is pretty lengthy it'll give the opportunity for some other stuff to develop in the area while we're going through our process oh sure and and what's sort of the completion time i know that's hard to hard to know once you get into it i think we're probably we're probably completely done in early 2021 if we do it the right way um, but we, we can do it in phases, right? So we talked about the townhome. So we can go in and put the townhomes in up front. Then we have our road running to the back. So we can do the leasing office, the townhomes in the first phase, and then do an apartment building or a couple of apartment buildings and start leasing those up. So we'll generate income before the project's complete. Oh, that's great. So sort of phases, different phases um, yep. of construction. Yeah. Yep. Great. Wow. Quite a bit of experience. Uh, since you started, what, 2006, did you we say? We started the company back in 2006. I didn't do a whole lot. I was focused on my corporate jobs. I was working pretty hard. And then mm. we started doing some private money lending to fix and flippers. And I, I was baffled, man. I was like, why are you willing to pay me 20% for my money? And they were like, mm-hmm. well, then they showed me their paycheck. And I was like, oh, you're making 200%. So you don't really care about the cost of business, huh? He's like, no, not really. And so, you know, I I went and did that. Then I realized it was a job. And so, I mean, I think that's a great part about multifamily investment, Bill. We've got a great third-party property manager right now. And, you know, they, they execute and operate. And we don't have to spend a whole lot of time worrying about them. And we check in when things are appropriate. I get daily reports that are come out of their automated system. And, you know, I... I the company's small enough that I can call the owner of the company and get my questions answered. Um, and I like that kind of stuff where, you know, we're B2B. 
and but I don't have to do the day-to-day operations. I can focus on strategy and look for the next opportunity to grow the portfolio because I think we have a pretty ambitious goal and we're only about 10% of the way there. Oh, that's great. That's great. And, you know, with all these things that you've done, and, and it sounds like, you've, you know, you've done flipping, you've done, you know, obviously buying uh, properties as sort of a value add focus and now ground up development. What, what are, what would you say is sort of your biggest mistake? And, I, and a lot of people get offended with that word. Well, you know, I don't look at things as mistakes and I get that too, but like something that happened, okay, that, that you, you, you know, you got hurt in in mm-hmm. but you learned from it and you were able to turn around and uh, turn into something else i'll tell your listeners to run away from the people who don't make mistakes because when something happens they're going to be pointing the finger at everybody but themselves but for me my biggest mistake was um not getting the utilities turned on during due diligence and so we mm-hmm. had um two down units and i didn't know why they were down well there's a busted pipe in one the wall and so when we turned on the water during rehab, we ruined the kitchen because the pipe leaked into the kitchen, which was right on top of all the cabinets delaminated and even the countertop. It was for mica. It got soaked and delaminated. So, you know, if you don't have the utilities on, your inspector's not going to complain, right, because mm-hmm. it's less work for them. So I, I think that was my biggest mistake. It was just stupid on my part. Um, and I had another property where... Uh, there was a HVAC unit that was down. We walked into the unit and the resident had taped up all of the vents. And I was like, why in the world would you do that? And they had window units going, even though the unit has central HVAC. I'm like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And so it wouldn't start. It wouldn't start. And then eventually we, I think we got it turned on or maybe we didn't. But in the end, there was a raccoon that got fried on the heat strips. And no so, way. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that cost me, you know, $4,000 to replace because I had to replace the whole unit. I couldn't just replace the condenser or some of the other more common parts. I had to replace the whole thing, Bill. And so, you oh, know, silly man. me for trusting that the the owner would, you know, be up front with me. And maybe he didn't know. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, I should have known before I went in just so I go in wise, eyes wide open instead of getting that surprises. You know, you can't plan for a surprise, right? You just right. have to deal with it. And so, but I could have done something with those surprises. And that just goes back to coaching, right? If mm-hmm. if I had a coach, my coach would have told me, hey, you need to make sure that the utilities are on before you do your inspection. Because if you don't, you don't really know everything that's happening in those units. So it's a great tip. That's awesome. What would you say is your is biggest success? Something that just boom, it just it just went better than expected. Yeah, so I, I I think I'm pretty good at running analysis, Bill. And we we pro forma the property, and we we close on a 1.375 buy with 400,000 in equity. It appraised for 1.75. And, you know, I, I had no idea we were going to come in at that number, but it was just a fantastic surprise for us. Wow. Where was that also in North Carolina? Yeah, it was or, in Greensboro. Uh, it's a 26 unit. Greensboro. Yeah, our business plan on that one was pretty cool. It, everybody screams and jumps and talks about uh, student housing, and it's something that we kind of run away from. And we bought this one that was being run as student housing and turned it back into workforce housing. 
and it's paying great dividends for us. Mm, that was neat. A neat repositioning there. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Wow. Well, um, you know, our audience is uh, primarily the focus of, of our podcast is uh, those folks that are either approaching retirement or they're already in retirement. So you've got people, you know, probably in their 50s and and then you've got those in their 60s and 70s. And, and all of them have sort of different interests in real estate investing. Some, you know, they're retired and they, you know, they're, they're realizing the funds they've set aside may not last them the, the duration or that they, you know, they're not living quite the lifestyle they hoped they would in retirement. And then you've got those other ones that are approaching it and they're kind of going, gee, I don't know if I'm going to have enough or if this is going to be enough. So they're, they're looking at it. Some are looking to be active investors. Some are looking to be passive investors. What kind of advice would you have for, for those folks as they're, you know, looking at real estate investing and saying, hey, you know, will this work for me? Can I generate cash flow? Can I can I make the things happen that I need to in my later years? I think it will absolutely work for you. I don't think you want to get another job, though. So the model of doing it yourself and buying something that you can handle, I, I don't encourage people to do that because when you retire, you want freedom, right? And freedom of the time is probably the most important piece. So you... I think at most you probably want to manage the manager or you want to partner with the operating partner who is executing on a daily basis and values your capital more than they value their own. And so if you can do one of those two things, I think you get the best of both worlds. And I think you're right, Bill. The model of piling up a bunch of money and just having it there and trying to take a piece off here and there it might be a little bit outdated, but if you can create cash flow through your real estate properties by owning those assets, then you can end up with, you know, in times more money than what you would be able to get, say, from the stock market and like having fixed income product like bonds or something like that. So, you know, get well educated if you're going to invest on your own um, and work with people who, you know, actually know what they're doing. And you learn along the way because, you know, like I said about that first prop project, you know, it would have bankrupt me. But there's nothing worse than, you know, you've done with your earning years and then you put your money in something and you're running it and it's going the wrong way. Um, these properties have to be well capitalized or they turn into alligators where they keep eating instead of being the geese that we want them to be where you feed them, take care of them and they continue to lay you eggs. Mm, great advice. Great advice. Well, I'm going to read a quote uh, from you that uh, I think has a lot to do with your approach to what you're doing. Then you can tell me you know, in, in relation to that quote and where your business is going, how they, how they tie together. But uh, in this quote, you say, I believe dreams should be real. There are far too many people who simply give up on their dreams because the people around them don't support them. I have one purpose at this juncture in my life. It is to support people on their journey from a dreamer to a dream catcher. And maybe you can elaborate on that as you focus on your business and where your business is going. Uh, Tell me how that fits in there. Yeah, so I'd be remiss if I don't mention a dream catcher's podcast. I spent a bunch of time creating videos and editing them. But, you know, that is where we tell the story of ordinary people doing extraordinary thing. But somewhere along the way, we've gotten okay with not finishing. And for me, 
people often talk about chasing your dreams, but I want people to catch them. I want you to actually finish what you start or set out to do when instead of turning back. And there's, I guess, a lesson that I learned the hard way. There's a lot of people who say they want something, but they don't say what they're willing to sacrifice for. And those can be two very different things. But when you get them aligned, it's magical. And so my goal has been with coaching folks or, you know, with this freeing people from work they're not passionate about is simply to help people get closer to their dreams and work on the things they're passionate about. Because I see too many people kind of wasting their life away doing things that they don't like. And it's just because they need a paycheck. And I, I just feel like there's something wrong with that. And I think it's my gift to the world, right? If people are doing the things they're most passionate about, they'll do them well and in them doing them well, it'll benefit the world. Hmm, I love it. So looking at your business now, so what is the one thing that really excites you about uh, your business today and uh, what's your vision for the future of your company? Yeah, technology really excites me. The development deal is, you know, the first of its kind in the city. So to be first and to do it in a town that I call home, my parents dropped me off at college and said, this is your home now. And so I, I never forgot that. I moved away, but now I'm back. Um, that really excites me and to be able to execute on that. And then I think the next thing, I mean, the thousand doors, finding a hundred people to partner with on deals, like those things I, I think are life changing for me and hopefully the folks that work with me and not just life changing, but positive life changes. Mm, that's great. Great, great answer. Well, we are uh, kind of zipping by here, and it's uh, a shame because I've got so, so many other things I want to ask you. Man, oh man, you're just you're you're just cranking it. You're really doing awesome, and uh, it's exciting to to hear of your success and and how you're moving forward. Uh, but we have our, our session we call our wrap it up. And uh, in this one, I just ask you a series of quick questions and you kind of tell me resources that you utilize and helps our, our listeners to, to find out about more resources as well. So uh, if you're ready, we can go ahead and uh, move into our wrap it up session. I'm ready. Okay. First question, favorite real estate book? Favorite real estate book? Emerging markets are... I think it's Emerging Markets, the Dave Lindahl book. And yes. I've heard, yeah, that one was really good. It was eye-opening for me. Oh, it's a great book, great book. Uh, in fact, I have it on my desk here, yeah. Um, how about uh, favorite just general business book? You know, I, I really like Millionaire Success Habits. Dean Graziosi just tells an amazing story there, and he gives you tools and techniques. And he for me, he confirmed a lot of the things that I was already doing, so that one's been real impactful. How about most valuable website for success? The most valuable. So I, I do a little bit of wholesaling every now and again. And mm -hmm. so Dill Machine has been, has saved me a tremendous amount of time. There's no more scribbling down in a notebook and then trying to stuff my own mail and get stuff out to people who I, I want to talk to. And, you know, I'm able to take a picture, send it. And, you know, a few days later, I end up getting phone calls. So I like that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we had uh, the founder on our show. That's a, a great product. Man, awesome. Um, it, it kind of moves into the next one, which I don't know if this is uh, the same answer or not, but what, what's your favorite app? Oh, so that's interesting. I don't know. Nobody ever says this. Chrome is my favorite app because I can Google whatever I want to, right? There's, I don't know the answers to a lot of things, but having that 
being able to Google it is just amazing for me. It makes me seem a whole lot smarter than I really am. <laughs> I love that too. And it's, isn't that weird? Well, I mean, I can think back when, you know, we didn't have that. You didn't even have you right. know, phones like this. And, and, uh, and, you know, just to be able to be talking to somebody about something and say, well, let me, let me see, <laughs> you know, I can, yeah, I can, yeah, I can yeah. give you the answer to that. You know, it, that's amazing to have access to that kind of information. That's a great one. How about a favorite quote? Oh man, dreams should be real. I it's it's my thesis on life, and maybe it's self-serving, but yeah, dreams should be real. Um, I hope everybody agrees with me, and then I hope they do something to go and make their dream real. Mm, I love it. Well, this one, I, you know, I don't know if you've had experience with it. it doesn't sound like it's you've you've actually taken a very um, not conservative, but you but you've you, you've been real wise with your funds, you know, since you you know, started in engineering and so forth. But, but let's say you were in a situation where you absolutely lost absolutely everything. And all you had in your hand is just a thousand dollars in cash. What would you do with that thousand dollars to relaunch your real estate business? I would send postcards through deal machine to get a wholesale deal. That's great. That works that that well for you, huh? Deal machine is oh, yeah. oh gosh, yeah. you should uh, be a testimony for those guys. That's <laughs> that is great. No, when I saw what he did, I, I looked at this. Mm-hmm. I go, this is an amazing app. It's just uh, great. But uh, yeah, with a thousand, I, you know, what what is it to send like one postcard? It's a. Uh, I've got the enterprise thing, so it's eighty cents. Eighty cents, unbelievable, and uh, you. you do you sort of regularly sort of drive for dollars and look around for areas and, and homes that look like they might be a good prospect for you? Yep, I sure do. I mean, just kind of in your daily moving about, you know, I, I if I notice something's in disheveled, I, I add it in. And, you know, then there's other times where I'm specifically doing the driving for dollars activity, but I'm always looking for opportunities. I love it. Have you ever, t- now, when he was on the show and I interviewed him, he was talking about doing it for multifamily too. Have you ever tried it for multifamily? Oh, Bill, of course. That's, that's the game for me. I, I try to get direct to seller. I don't, I've bought some stuff off of MLS, but the game is direct to seller. And, and it gets through, uh, you know, for uh, multifamily properties as well to the, uh, the actual owner. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, you know, whether it's the owner or the registered agent, whatever it is, somebody gets a piece of mail and it kind of works through. It doesn't, the mailing address usually isn't the property manager. So, you know, it works out. Very cool. Very cool. Well, good. uh, good, uh, That's the first time I've ever gotten that response. Good one. Well, uh, Jerome, man, this has been so uh, great. I'm telling you, this is, uh, there's so much good information here. Yeah, I really want to talk to you more and probably have you back on here, seriously, because uh, I, I think there's a, awesome. a lot of areas that you can address. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm sure there's folks that are listening to that would say, hey, I really would like to talk to this guy. What, what's sort of the best way for folks to reach you? So our, our website for Myers Development is developing, but the E's are threes. So D3V3LOPING.com. And you can learn more about us and what we've been doing. And there's also a contact us form and that can, that'll get over to me. And then I, I circle back and try to schedule conversations. And then we just launched our education platform, which is MyersMethods.com. M-E, I'm sorry, M-Y-E-R-S. M-E-T-H-O-D-S dot com. 
and that gives you access to the different op- options we have for those folks who are looking for security education. Oh, that is great. That's great. Now, you've also got some other um, websites, too. I don't know if you want to share them or not, but the uh, uh, there's the powwow one and the dreams one. Uh, do you want to yeah. share? Well, I mean, the dream catchers one is just um, it's tied to the podcast. But, you know, for those folks who are looking for some type of coaching, that's what dream catchers is. It's just trying to help you transition from a dream case catcher or a dream chaser to a dream catcher and that one's dreamshouldbereal.com um the powwow is our mastermind we've got a bunch of different stuff just trying to support people and doing the same thing um powwow at the mountaintop.com that ends up you know people can apply to participate in that we meet quarterly and we usually go to some super remote location and, you know, we get there and we get vulnerable, talk about the things we've been asking ourselves, but not really having other people to talk to. Um, so, I mean, those things are are out there. And, you know, as we get I, I've really just done those kind of one to one conversations. But I really appreciate you allowing me to share that on your platform. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You're doing some good stuff, some really good stuff. Man, I, well, I, t- t- this is so frustrating. The time zipping by here, but I, I did want to ask you too. Yeah, was there anything that y- you wanted to address that maybe we didn't touch on that you thought, uh, you know, you, you might want to at least mention or close out with? No, I think we got everything. I mean, the only thing I'd like to leave people with is your dreams should be real. And if nobody has told you that before, I'm telling you that. And so now you're obligated to go do something about it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, we have a tradition here, and uh, you I'm sure you're well familiar with this. <laughs> I've been yeah. I mean, you've had all, you know, all this time to, to work on a practice here. And, uh, you know, North Carolina, they got, you know, they got hound dogs out there. They got uh, a, lot of, a lot of people like to hunt and do things like that out there. So I'm sure you've, you know, you've got plenty of, you know plenty of uh samples that, that you could pull from here to uh, to give us your best old closing hound dog howl are, are you ready for this jerome i'm ready bill let's see if we can get it done all right oh that was excellent excellent man i i, I couldn't believe it was a human being doing it it was like uh it really sounded like a real dog i'm not kidding you jerome that was awesome Appreciate it, Bill. I'm so grateful for you having me on, and uh, I look forward for an opportunity to meet you one day, and um, definitely want to see you over on the Dreamcatchers podcast at some point. Awesome. Well, I am. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know that North Carolina is on our radar, so we we uh, we love that state, man. I think I'd love to live there eventually. It's just a beautiful place. So uh, so we may meet. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, man. Thank you again for being on. Appreciate it. I just want to thank all our old dog listeners out there too uh, for just joining us. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but the fact that you've taken the time to join us means a lot and we greatly appreciate it. And please note, Everything that we talked about, everything that Jerome shared as well, I'm going to have links to as much of it as I can I can possibly get to links to. And you guys will be able to uh, access that in our show notes, which is located at our Old Dogs website at olddogsreinetwork.com forward slash blog. And uh, you're going to be uh, looking for the, the episode uh, here with Jerome Myers. So uh, that's the show for today. Remember, cash flow is king and real estate investing the means. Until next time, keep moving forward and may God bless. 
Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.